0: Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. Well, I had to actually do it. I wasn't going to split Chapter 8 into two podcasts, but I couldn't get away from it. Otherwise, it would have been about 30 minutes long just doing one. Last time we ended with the mist of Darkness and Lehi seeing his family and calling out to them to come to the tree. Laman and Lemuel would not, but Sariah and Nephi and Sam do. So now Lehi sees a path and it runs by the rod of iron and he calls it... A straight path, S-T-R-A-I-T, straight path. We talked about this word in the New Testament. It means narrow or having limited capacity for someone to walk on. Now, basically, Lehi sees four groups of people trying to go down this path. They come from all different directions and also have different levels of spirituality. So group one started on the path, but got lost and turned away. This is in verse 24. And it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward, and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the mists of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed." So they wanted to be part of the gospel, they had good intentions, started on the gospel path, they partook of the fruit or joined the church, but for whatever reason they got lost. Daniel Johnson of the 70s said that perhaps this group failed to further their study of the gospel by not reading or listening to conference or attending Sunday meetings, all of which offer the word of God to those who listen. So when the mists of darkness came, they were just not strong enough to hold on. Maybe we know someone who's fallen away from the church for whatever reason. Maybe they were offended, maybe they just left because of sin, or maybe they didn't strengthen their testimony of the gospel. Okay, group two started, tasted, but were ashamed of their decision and were lost. This is verse 26. And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water a great and spacious building. And it stood as it were in the air high above the earth. And it was filled with people, both old and young, both male and female. And their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. And they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers toward those who had come at And were partaking of the fruit. And after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them. And they fell away into forbidden paths and were lost. So what was it that caused them to start, taste of the gospel, and then turn away? They were clinging to the gospel. Clinging means holding tightly. But when persecution came or when the peer pressure from people who started making fun of them for joining the church or... For being a Mormon, or for not going to R-rated movies, or for not drinking, or, I don't know, name whatever someone shames you for. When all of that started, what did they do? They let go of the rod of iron. There are plenty of people today who shame on social media or anywhere for something you do not want to do because of what you believe. When I was in high school, a lot of the kids called me a goody-two-shoes because I didn't go out drinking with them on the weekends. Though this group of people were clinging and trying their best, perhaps, they just couldn't handle the way people made them feel, and they let go. Daniel Johnson of the 70, again, compares this to a white knuckle experience. He said, Think of it like whitewater rafting. What happens when you hit the rough water? You hold on for dear life. You hold on so tight that your knuckles turn white. But what happens when you reach the calm water? You let go. I'm going to paraphrase paraphrase what he said next. He said that sometimes in our lives, when things get hard and we struggle, we hold on as tight as we can. We pray with fervent prayer. We go to the scriptures to look for answers. But what happens when the struggle's gone and the crisis is over? We let go. We put the scriptures down. We go back to the regular way we pray Sometimes we only go to the Savior when we need help. We stop clinging to the rod. We only hold on when the waters get rough. Okay, this is group three now. They held fast and they remained faithful. This is in verse 30. But to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward, he meaning Lehi, and they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron, until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. So what are the words that you hear about the people who held on to the iron rod? They were pressing forward, here's the word, continually holding fast to the rod of iron. They held on as hard as they could, and they did not let go. They held on continually no matter what was thrown at them, no matter what they faced, no matter what temptations came their way, no matter if someone offended them, or no matter what happened at church or with our friends, they did not let go. They remained steadfast in the gospel. When they arrived, they fell down and partook of the tree. Perhaps the journey was hard to get there. Perhaps it was exhausting, continually holding fast and fighting trials and temptations and enduring to the end the whole way, but they made it, and the first thing they did was fall down and partake of the love of God. I can only imagine what they see when they get there. The Savior waiting patiently for them, and they fall at his feet in gratitude. Elder Bednar asks this question, What then is the difference between clinging and holding fast to the rod of iron? Let me suggest that holding fast to the iron rod entails, in large measure, the prayerful, consistent, and earnest use of the Holy Scriptures as a sure source of revealed truth and as a reliable guide for the journey along the straight and narrow path to the tree of life, even to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Elder Bednar. We don't just get fed once by the fruit of the tree. We have to be continually nourished by it so that we don't get lost. So this last group to talk about is a sad kind of group. This is group four, and they're headed toward the building, but all the worldly attractions had just too much influence. This is verse 31. And he also saw other multitudes feeling their way towards that great and spacious building. And it came to pass that many were drowned in the depths of the fountain, and many were lost from his view, wandering in strange roads. And great was the multitude that did enter enter into that strange building. And after they did enter into that building, they did point the finger of scorn at me and those that were partaking in the fruit also, but we heeded them not. So before we go on, let's talk about the great and spacious building. Back up in verse 26, Nephi describes it, and this is what he says about it. It's standing high above the earth as if it's in the air. Why is that? Why is it standing high above the earth as if it's in the air? Well, Ted Gibbons says that the mists of darkness are on the path that leads to the tree and that we might not be able to see straight ahead as we travel because of the mists of darkness. But perhaps the large and spacious building is high up in the air because you can see it above the mists, and Satan wants you to see it, and not the tree. He wants you distracted from the path. Sometimes I think we look up and we lose our grip as we watch others around us, seemingly looking like they're enjoying life while we're in the mists and we're struggling to hold on to the rod. These folks inside the large and spacious building could not ignore the world. The things that the world put in front of them were just too much to ignore. They wanted them, they needed them, and Satan found an easy mark with them. But it wasn't just that they chose the large and spacious building. What did they do to those who did not? They made fun of them, pointed at them, mocked them. Sometimes the things people have are hard to ignore, and they do not help when they throw it in our face or make us feel less Because we don't have what they have, or we don't go to the places they go, or that they have something we do not. The job they have, the opportunities they have, the house they have, the car they have, the school they're going to, or what they're telling us they're going to get. Scholarships, or opportunities, or whatever it is. But remember what I said earlier, that sometimes in our rebellion, we don't want to be alone in it. And so we will recruit others to join us in that rebellion or make fun of them if they do not. But ultimately, Nephi gives you the key to how to deal with people like this who wish to scorn, embarrass, mock, or try to get us to fall. And what is that? It's in the last five words of verse 33. Go back and look at it. And we heeded them not. Can you see some of those groups in the people you know and perhaps your friends? Lehi sees his sons Laman and Lemuel, and they will not partake of the fruit, and he's sad and he's worried. But listen to how Nephi describes his dad, and the pain that he has is apparent in his dad as he uses all the feelings of a tender parent. This is down in verse 37. And he did exhort them then with all the feeling of a tender parent, that they would hearken to his words, that perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them and not cast them off. Yea, my father did preach unto them. Robert E. Hales said, Every parent faces moments of such fear. However, when we exercise our faith by teaching our children and doing what we can to help them, our fears will diminish. Lehi girded up his loins, and with faith he did exhort his children, with all the feeling of a tender parent, that they would hearken to his words, that perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them, and he bade them to keep the commandments of the Lord. We, too, must have the faith to teach our children and bid them to keep the commandments. We should not let their choices weaken our faith. Our worthiness will not be measured according to their righteousness." Lehi did not lose the blessing of feasting at the tree of life because Laman and Lemuel refused to partake of its fruit. Sometimes as parents, we feel we have failed when our children make mistakes or stray. Parents are never failures when they do their best to love, teach, pray, and care for their children. Their faith, prayers, and efforts will be consecrated to the good of their children. That was Robert D. Hales. D. Robert D. Hales. Well, we've come to the end of Lehi's vision of the Tree of Life. There's so much stuff to be learned from this vision. I only got a small part of it. We, of course, will learn more as we explore Nephi's vision of what his father saw. Someone once said that we are reminded that the iron rod does not pass through the lobby of the great and spacious building. We do not get to jump off the path and play a little and then jump back on when we're done. I found this old, old quote from Glenn L. Pace. It was in General Conference in 1992. This is what he said. Many of us take the blessing of the gospel for granted. It is as if we are passengers on the train of the church, which has been moving forward gradually and methodically. Sometimes we've looked out the window and thought, that looks kind of fun out there. This train is so restrictive. So we've jumped off and gone and played in the the woods for a while. Sooner or later, we find it isn't as much fun as Lucifer makes it appear, or we get critically injured, so we work our way back to the tracks and see the train ahead. With determined sprint, we catch up to it breathlessly, wipe the perspiration from our foreheads, and thank the Lord for repentance. While on the train, we can see the world and some of our own members outside laughing and having a great time, they taunt us and coax us to get off. Some throw logs and rocks on the tracks to try to derail it. Others run alongside the tracks and while they may never go play in the woods, they just can't seem to get on the train. Still others try to run ahead and too often take the wrong turn. I would propose that the luxury of getting on and off the train as we please is fading. The speed of the train is increasing. The woods are getting much too dangerous, and the fog and the darkness are moving in. Although our detractors might as well stretch forth their puny arms to stop the Missouri River in its decreed course or to turn it upstream, as to derail this train, they are occasionally successful in coaxing individuals off. With all the prophecies we have seen fulfilled, what great event are we waiting prior to saying, Count me in. What more do we need to see or experience before we get on the train and stay on it until we reach our destination? It's time for a spiritual revival. It's time to dig down deep within ourselves and rekindle our own light. That was Glenelg Pace in a general conference in 1992. We must hold tight to that iron rod. As he said, it's time to dig down deep within ourselves and do whatever it takes to help us hold on continually to the iron rod. So, until next time.